Genesis 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed down to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they, so they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he prepared and he set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? He said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased with Sarah. So she laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. The men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you, will you then sweep them away, sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fair as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And he spoke again to him and said, Suppose there are 40 found there. He answered, for the, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, Well, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose there are 30 found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. 
He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose there are twenty there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let, the Lord, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray again together. Almighty God, as we study this passage of Scripture together this morning, we pray, Lord, that you would write its eternal truths upon our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see who you are, more fully, and that you would help us to see who we are, and that we would respond faithfully with obedience. Lord, that we would respond with, with prayer to you, Almighty God, knowing that you hear us, knowing that you are faithful and just. Lord, we pray that as we look at this passage this morning, we would see more deeply the, rel- the relationship that you have with your people, and that you would see the relationship to which you have called us, that we might enjoy it, that we might enjoy you in your fullness. We pray this in the majestic and beautiful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I asked the children a few moments ago, what makes a good friend? What what are the sort of qualities that, that you look for in a friend? You might include some of the things that the children have suggested, but I found a list online, and there was I was looking at several lists of, of what is what are the qualities of a good friend or a best friend, and, and there was a lot of overlap. But but I found this this one list um, particularly compelling because it, it had a, a spiritual distinction that was was lacking in most of the other ones. This has actually come from a, from a church, and and I really don't know anything about the church. It just it just came up on my search, but I thought this is a a pretty good list of a good friend said, a good friend is available. A good friend listens. A good friend tells you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. A good friend makes you stronger. A good friend forgives. A good friend is trustworthy. And a good friend values the spiritual growth of their friends. I wonder what other qualities you, you would include on that list or as you think about the, the friends in your life, what, what qualities that, that they demonstrate. But I wonder, even with this basic list that, that's here, I, I wonder, do you have a friend that's like that? I, I think and I hope that, that most of you say, would say that your spouse is, is indeed a, a friend like that. But I also need to ask, as I ask the children, are you a friend like that? Are, are you that kind of friend? Are, are you loyal and trustworthy and, and forgiving? And, and do you care about the spiritual growth and about your friends? Are you, are you honest with them? Do you, do you tell them the truth even though it, it might hurt them? Do you, do you speak the truth in love? Well, we know that we should all be friends like that and that we should all have friends like that. And if you are a Christian here this morning, you might think that, that you really don't have many or even any close friends. 
That's really not true. If you are a Christian, you have a friend like that. You have a friend like that, and so did Abraham. Now, speaking, of course, of God's friendship with Abraham. Repeatedly in Scripture, that Abraham is called a friend of God. We've seen God making himself a friend to Abraham ever since God called Abraham in Genesis 12, before Abraham was even Abraham, when he was Abram. In our passage this morning, we, we witnessed the friendship that God had with Abraham and why. In Genesis 18, we, we see God representing several, in fact, each of the items from this list. God makes himself available to Abraham by, by actually coming to him. God actually comes to Abraham. God listens to Abraham. He listens to, to Abraham's petitions and he, he listens to Sarah's skepticism. God tells Abraham his plans for Sarah as well as his plans for Sodom and Gomorrah. God strengthens Abraham and Sarah's faith and, and he forgives them for their weak faith. God shows himself yet again trustworthy to fulfill his promises. God shows deep interest in, in Abraham and Sarah's spiritual growth. God is a faithful friend. God is the most faithful friend. As a result of, of God's friendship with Abraham, we also see Abraham as a faithful friend to God. We also see Abraham as a faithful friend even to the wicked people of Sodom. Abraham appears in, in two distinct roles here. In, in, the, in the first half, in the first half he is the, the consummate friendly host. Then we see the emphasis of, of his friendship with God in the, the, the middle section. And then in the, the third, he is in the, the final section, he is, becomes the bold and unwavering intercessor. This noon meeting at Hebron in chapter 18 is a stark contrast with the nighttime conflict that we're going to see next week, Lord willing, that takes place in Sodom in, in chapter 19. Derek Kidner describes it like this. He says, The former, quietly intimate and full of promise, is crowned by the intercession in which Abraham's faith and love show a new breadth of concern. The second scene, the one of chapter 19, is all of confusion and ruin, moral and physical, ending in a loveless squalor which is even uglier than the great overthrow of the cities. In both of these incidents, in both of these chapters, God's righteousness is on full display. As I alluded to a moment ago, cha chapter 18 has three main sections. In verses 1 to 15, the Lord visits Abraham. In 16 to 21, the angels visit Sodom. And in verses 22 to 33, Abraham intercedes for Sodom. So first of all, verses 1 to 15, the Lord visits Abraham. As chapter 18 begins, Abraham is in Hebron by the, by the oaks of Mamre where he had built an altar to the Lord where he has, has pitched a tent. 
He settled there, and after he and Lot had parted company, this is also where he had found out about Lot, Lot's capture from Sodom. The Oaks of Mamre here in the vicinity of Hebron was, was Abraham's base of operations. Even though he was, even though he pitched in tent, he was, was not settled for say in one place, this was for now his home base. He's sitting at the door of his tent in the heat of the day when he receives a visitor, actually three visitors. And we're, we're, not, we're told who it is here, that it's the Lord, but Abraham doesn't seem to realize who is before him. We're told in the, in the very first verse that it is the Lord, Yahweh. This is another theophany. This is a divine appearance of God. And more specifically here, likely a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And this foreshadows the coming of Christ where God took the form of a man to, to live amongst, amongst people as, as Emmanuel, as God with us. The Lord appears to Abraham along with two angels. Now their identity won't be revealed until chapter 19. Here the visitors are simply described as three men. When Abraham sees them, he, he runs to meet them and he, he bows to the earth before them. And he says in verse 3, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. The word that's translated here, Lord, does sometimes refer specifically to God, but can also be, be a term of respect. Abraham provides them with, with water to, to wash their feet and, and a place to rest and with food. Now, while these things were, were customary in that culture, Abraham here is seen to be going the extra mile. We're told he, he quickly went into his tent and, and told Sarah, quick, make three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. Well, three seahs is, is about 22 liters. That's a, that's a whole lot of cake. Far more than these visitors could eat. And then again we see Abraham running, this time to his herd, and, and he chose a, a tender and, and good calf, and he gave it to one of his, his servants, who were told, prepared it quickly. He gave them curds and milk as side dishes to enhance the flavor of the meat. And so all of this emphasizes Abraham's lavish hospitality. Notice that he didn't even sit down with them to eat, that, that he stood by while they ate. So, so he's really demonstrating himself to be the, the consummate host. Abraham knew that they were distinguishing guests. But at this point, anyway, I believe he was hosting angels unawares. Hebrews 13.2 Now hospitality isn't, isn't the, the main point of, of this passage. It, it, there is, there's a contrast we're going to see in a moment, but I just, just want to ask you, are, are, are you a hospitable person? The word in, in Greek that's translated hospitable me, means really to, to entertain or to, to, to love strangers. Are you a stranger lover? Are you a stranger lover? Yes, we, we show hospitality in, in, in that the fact that we, we invite um, each other into each other's homes and, and you know you have somebody over then, then they'll have you over and that, that's a beautiful thing as we enjoy fellowship together in the Lord but, but the, the, the biblical concept of hospitality goes far beyond that it, it really involves it, it really involves loving somebody who is, is not even going to, to, to or not even able to, to 
to pay you back. And so we were really taught, and Vincent Connie would attest to this, we were very well taught at the, the fire conference by Conrad and Bayway, uh, the, the concept of, of, of the fact that we are members of one another. That, that in the church we are members of one another. And he talked about this principle of, of hospitality, of, of, of loving each other in the church, but, but even of going beyond that to love even the stranger. Abraham here in this passage shows himself to be exemplary in his hospitality. His hospitality is presented really in the starkest contrast of what we're going to see in chapter 19. Abraham's kindness to his guests is really exactly the opposite of, of what we're going to see in chapter 19 with, with the treatment of the angels by the wicked men of Sodom. And we're going to deal with this even in more detail next week, but let me just make this point even now. There are some who are trying to reinterpret the scriptures to say that the, 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 the primary sin or the, the sin of Sodom is a lack of hospitality. Well, well, they were certainly inhospitable. But the sin that was taking place in Sodom goes immeasurably beyond just a lack of hospitality. It is, it is certainly that, but it's, it's the failure to be a good host and, and the, the wicked behavior of the men of Sodom toward the, toward the angels is not even in the same category as it hospitality. Again, we'll talk about that more next week. But the visitors then ask Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? Now we're really getting to one of the crucial reasons for their visit. Abraham replies, she's in the tent. Well, Abraham doesn't see, seem surprised here that the visitors know the identity of his wife. Seemingly supernaturally, they, they know the identity of his wife. But, so maybe on some level, Abraham is beginning to understand their identity. Well, but then the Lord says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Well, now it's abundantly clear who is before Abraham. It is the Lord himself. The, the Lord's promise of, of a son to, to Abraham had started out very generally back in, in Genesis chapter 12. And, and as you remember, as we, as we walk through Genesis, we've seen that there's been layers added to it. This, this, this promise has been built on. It's been magnified. It's been expanded. And now we're told very specifically the, the extent of the promise and, and what it means here. He's going to give Abraham a son by Isaac. His, by, so he's going to give Abraham a son Isaac by Sarah, his barren and now menopausal wife. Last chapter, remember Isaac's identity was, concerned, was, was revealed and, and now the time of his birth is revealed. The Lord promises to return in a year's time. Notice it's at the appointed time. All of the, the things, that, the concerns that they've had through, through ever since that promise was made back in 12, even, even to the point of, uh, of really trying to, to bring about a child in, the, in their own fleshly means was really pointless because the Lord was not going to, to, to bring the child until the child's appointed time. And the Lord himself promises to provide. He is going to, to give this child. He promises to return 
So very clearly, this child is seen to have come, yes, through, 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 the, through the natural means. But this child is seen very explicitly as being a gift from the Lord himself. We're reminded here of, of Abraham and Sarah's natural circumstances. They, they were both old. They were advanced in years. Abraham was, was 99 and, and Sarah was 90. And now we're given the added information that the, the way of, of women wasn't with Sarah. Not only was she barren, but she's also menopausal. As I noted earlier, so, sometimes the Lord waits until things get extra impossible before he acts. And so that way, not only is, is his name glorified, but his people grow in faith and in trust in him. Well, Sarah is not with them but she's eavesdropping on the conversation. So what's her response to this news? She laughs. She, she laughs to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now the, the term that pleasure here refers to, to physical pleasure. Sarah still doesn't get it. Sarah doesn't understand who the Lord is, what he's capable of doing, and what he is about to do for her. Her faith was weak, much like Abraham's faith was weak in the middle of chapter 17. Remember, he laughed as well when the Lord had promised a son. And there the Lord had reassured Abraham. And now he is here to reassure, reassure Sarah. This is one of the main reasons for his visit. He came to encourage Sarah's faith, to bring her into faithful participation with his sovereign plan. Sarah had heard the Lord talking to Abraham. The Lord had heard Sarah talking to herself. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And here the Lord asks rhetorically, Is anything too hard for the Lord? He's speaking here to Abraham, but this is also for Sarah. This question shifts their focus from their natural circumstances to his omnipotence. Of course, again, this question is rhetorical. It does not require an answer. But let's just think about it for a few moments. Let's just think about some of the, the circumstances we, we've seen in Genesis so far and ask the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is creating the universe with a word too hard for the Lord? Is destroying the world with a flood too hard for the Lord? Is rescuing one man in this family and representatives of, of all the animals on the earth too hard for the Lord? Is confounding the languages at Babel too hard for the Lord? Well, what about the things that Abraham and Sarah had seen the Lord do in their own lives? Is sending plagues to rescue Sarah from Pharaoh's harem too hard for the Lord? Is enabling Abraham to rescue Lot from Kedileomer's powerful army too hard for the Lord? Is providing a child for an old man and a barren wife too hard for the Lord? Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Question 13 of the Catechism for Young Children asks, Can God do 
all things? The answer, yes, God can do all his holy will. God can do all things that line up with his providential will, with, with his moral will, and with his compassionate will. We're going to talk about more about that later in this chapter. But I wonder, where are you focused on your circumstances above God's omnipotence? Where are you forgetting that the Lord is in your circumstances, that the Lord is sovereign over your circumstances? I wonder, is there a, is there a conflict that just seems so convoluted and, and, and so difficult and so long-standing that, that you wonder, can this ever get solved? Are you in dire straits financially? Or someone that you love in dire straits financially? Are you in some besetting sin that you wonder, will I ever get free from this? Do you have an unbelieving loved one? Maybe you pray for more than, than anything else. Preach this truth to yourself. God can do all his holy will. And so pray to God. Your will will be, your will be done. And God's will will be done. He will always do his will. Now the Lord repeats his promise in the second half of verse 14. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. We'll see this promise fulfilled in, in chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. But at this point, Sarah still doesn't get it. Instead of considering what the Lord ha has said out of fear, she now denies laughing. She lies to the omnipotent God. She lies to the omniscient God. Now, I'm sure everyone in this room has, has lied on, on an occasion out of fear. That you've denied that you've done something out of fear of the response of someone else. But here, Sarah is being dishonest with God. Yet another pointer to the fact that she, she does not understand who the Lord really is. Of what he's capable of doing and, and what he's going to do for her. In lying to the omniscient God is never a good idea. But out of fear of the Lord, she should have been honest. And so should we, any lie. Lying to the tax man, a so-called white lie, a, a half-truth, is all an offense that is committed ultimately against the omniscient God who commands us not to lie. The Lord knows the truth. And he said the, the first and the only time in this passage that he speaks directly to Sarah, no, but you did laugh conversation over that settles it but their son's name Isaac which remember means he laughs is going to be a reminder to Sarah and to Abraham of their lack of faith but it's going to be a reminder far more so of the Lord's faithfulness to them 
God's faithfulness to Abraham and Sarah does not depend on their faithfulness to him. It depends on his character, on his faithfulness. Sarah had her faults. So did Abraham. But don't judge the story by the middle. We saw that the Lord is, is visited really in large part in order to, to encourage Sarah's faith. And we're left wondering here at, at, at the end of this, this dialogue, at the end of this dialogue is, well, was his mission successful? Hebrews 11.11 11 gives us the verdict on Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive and, and even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Sarah eventually got it. Sarah eventually got who God was, of, of what he was, was going to do for her. And so Sarah is presented as an example even to us of faith. God always achieves what he sets out to do in the lives of his people. God can do all his holy will. Verses 1 to 15 demonstrate through, through the special visit of the Lord that he is faithful to his friends. He is faithful to Abraham and to Sarah. Well, Abraham, or God's faithfulness to Abraham and Abraham's friendship with him is going to be emphasized in the next section of, as well. And we see the Lord's plans for Sodom in verses 16 to 21. The Lord's plans for Sodom. Well, now the visitors shift their attention to another matter. And the issue at hand is not good. Verse 16, Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. Notice the words, they looked down. God is often seen to be looking down to, to cast and execute judgment. Uh, Psalm 53, verses 2 and 3, for example. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Altogether, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Well, as his visitors set out for Sodom, Abraham, the gracious host, walks with them part of the way. Abraham is, in a sense here, fulfilling the Lord's command in verses 17 1, to, to walk before me. He is literally walking with God. So what will the Lord's assessment of Sodom be? Men may be able to, to justify their behavior to themselves or to others around them, but it is the Lord's verdict that always matters. We're given insight in, in verse 17 to, to a divine counsel. The Lord here asks himself, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Amos 3.7 tells us that the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. So Abraham here is in a sense fulfilling a, a prophetic role as the Lord gives him insight into his plans. Now, friends, the Lord does not speak to us in the same way that he spoke to Abraham. God speaks to us through his word. The canon of scripture is closed. The Lord tells Abraham why, or tells us rather, why he's going to reveal his plans to Abraham. The Lord reveals his plans to the righteous. Again, we're going to see Abraham contrasted with Sodom. 
We see Abraham's covenant righteousness in verses 19 and 20 contrasted with the wickedness of the men of Sodom in verses 20 and 21. And so in this we see that Abraham is part of the godly seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15, while the wicked men of Sodom are of the seed of the serpent. The Lord's trust in Abraham as an intimate friend is related directly to his call of Abraham and to his, the promises that he has made to Abraham. First, notice that the Lord's treatment in, in verse 20, the Lord's treatment of Abraham as a friend is tied directly to the promise of, of Genesis 12, 12, that Abraham will be the father of a great and mighty nation. Second, the Lord's treatment of Abraham as a friend is tied directly to the call of 12, 3, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Now, though this ultimately points to the, the blessing in Jesus Christ, who is the the, the the ultimate seed of the woman. We see Abraham here even being a blessing to Sodom. He's already shown himself to be a blessing to Sodom. Remember when he, when he rescued the people of, of Sodom from, from the, the powerful king Kedaliomer. And he's about to, to show himself to be, to be a friend to, to Sodom, a blessing to Sodom in, in the way that he intercedes for them. But they're not going to experience the benefit of that blessing. The Lord's treatment of Abraham as a friend is, is tied directly to his sovereign election of Abraham. So look at the beginning of, of verse 19. The beginning of verse 19. For I have chosen him. I have chosen him. Now that, that word that's translated here, chosen, also means known. It, it refers to intimate knowledge. This word is often seen as, as covenant terminology. For, for the Lord to, to know someone in this sense is to grant recognition to them as a legitimate servant. And notice why God has chosen him in, in the, the next point. The, the Lord's treatment of Abraham as a friend is tied directly to this reason, to the reason why he had chosen him. The Lord did not choose Abraham because he was righteous, but the Lord chose Abraham because, so, rather so that he would be righteous. Do you understand that? This is really important. The Lord didn't choose Abraham because he was righteous, but so that he would be righteous. Look again at verse 19. I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham all that he has promised him. Notice these words there again. Command, keep, righteousness, justice. These again are covenant words. God chose Abraham not just for salvation, but that he would also be an instrument of righteousness. And this righteousness is forward-looking. The Lord chose Abraham so that he would instruct his family in the way of the Lord in righteousness and justice. Now, righteousness here essentially means to, means to do the right thing. And justice has the, the added element of, of truth and equity. Well, brothers and sisters, the same exact thing can be said about you. Like Abraham, you are the intimate friend of God. God has chosen you to be an instrument of righteousness. 
And because, because God has chosen you to be an instrument of righteousness, you will be an instrument of righteousness. You will walk in righteousness. You will command and teach your children to do the same. Come back for a moment to, to what I asked before when I asked the question, is anything too hard for God? Think about that area of besetting sin. God's will for you is your sanctification in that very area. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 Brothers and sisters, you are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.29 God has chosen you to be an instrument of righteousness. Not because you're an instrument of righteousness because he is going to make you, he has made you and will continue to make you an instrument of righteousness. But now in verses 20 and 21, we, we see a contrast between, between the, the righteous people of God and the wicked people of Sodom. And we see how the Lord is going to bless his people, but he is going to justly punish the wicked. There's an outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah. There, there, there is a wordplay here that, that English doesn't pick up. The word for outcry is, is very similar to the word for righteousness. The cry from Sodom speaks of wickedness, but the Lord will, spot, will respond righteously. The outcry is very great and their sin is very grave. In verse 21, the Lord says, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come against, has come to me, and if not, I will know. For those words there, the Lord will go down. He did this, remember, back in Genesis chapter 11, when he went down to see what the wicked men in, in Babel were, were doing in, in making their prideful tower. Of course, the Lord is omniscient. He doesn't need to go down to see anything, but he is showing Abraham and us that he will not execute justice without an airtight case. He will not condemn without having all the facts. We'll see for ourselves next week just how wicked the men of Sodom were. But Ezekiel renders the verdict as well. Ezekiel 16 49 and 50, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. There is likening Jerusalem to Sodom. In, in the, it's it's the, the worst of, of all possible comparisons. Saying, this is, this is you. You are like Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. The men of Sodom were engaged in flagrant social and sexual immorality. And so the Lord destroyed them. God's justice is going to be on full display. We'll see it more, more fully in next week. Next week, and it's fulfillment in chapter 19. God's, we'll see God's justice to his, to his people and God's justice to the wicked. But the Lord reveals his plans to the righteous. Friends, he has, he has revealed his plans to you. You are his intimate friend. You know the end toward which all of history is heading. I hope you're praying. 
finally, we see in verses 22 to 33, Abraham intercedes for Sodom. The angels depart for Sodom, leaving Abraham alone before the Lord. Now, for Abraham to stand before the Lord here refers to his, his intercessory role. As the, as the Lord had said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 15:1, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn towards this people. So Abraham's role has shifted from the gracious host of verses 1 to 15 to the, the intimate friend of verses 16 to 21. Now he becomes the, the tenacious intercessor in verses 22 to 33. Abraham, now aware of the Lord's plan, pleads to the Lord for Sodom. He drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Now, Abraham here wasn't just interceding for Lot. That, that was certainly, his nephew was certainly on his radar. Probably as his primary concern, but he was interceding for the cities. If you remember back in our studies on the model prayer, I explained that the third petition of the prayer, the, the model prayer is often called the, the Lord's Prayer, the third petition is, Your will be done in Matthew 6.10. I explained that that includes, God's will includes three elements. It includes praying to the Lord to help us to submit to His providential will, to, to, that we would consciously submit to, to God's sovereign plans for us in our lives. Praying for God's will to be done is, is also a, a prayer that, that we would obey His moral will, that we will, we will obey His commandments. And it's also a prayer for God to act according to His compassionate will. To God's compassionate will. And, and it's to this, this, this third aspect that Abraham is praying here. God's compassionate will. That God will have mercy on the cities, uh, uh, the cities for the sake of the righteous citizens, for any righteous citizens in Sodom. According to God's gracious and righteous character. And so Abraham begins by asking, Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare for the, for the 50 righteous who are in it? Now Abraham's confidence in prayer is that God is indeed righteous and just. Verse 25, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? He is appealing to God's character. In fact, it's a parallel question to what the Lord had rhetorically asked in verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Remember the, the question for the children's catechism. Can God do all things? Yes. God can do all His holy will. God can never act unjustly because justice is intrinsic to God's holy nature. Abraham is confident that he can come before the Lord and make intercession because he knows that the Lord is faithful. The Lord, Lord replies in verse 26 that he would, he would not destroy Sodom for the sake of 50 righteous people. Humbly, yet emboldened by the Lord's response, Abraham three times lowers the number by five. From 50 to 45 to 40. And then, then he grows even more bold, now lowering the number by, by 10. Three more times, from, from 40 to 30 to 20 to 10. The Lord promises in verse 33 that even for the sake of 10 righteous, he would not destroy the city. 
And with that, Abraham is silent. He now understands more fully just how wicked the city is. He understands that there are not even 10 righteous people in the city. And more importantly, he now understands more deeply the mercy of the Lord, that, that God is motivated by the protection of the righteous over and above his judgment of the wicked. We, we see that in Jeremiah 5.1, where the, the Lord's, where the Lord says that the presence of just one just man will cause the Lord to spare Jerusalem. We see this too from the, the parable of the weeds in, in Matthew 13, verses 24 to 30. Let's just turn there for a moment, please, to, to Matthew 13, verses 24 to 30. In this parable, the, the parable of the weeds, the, the kingdom of heaven is, is likened to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while they were sleeping, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. In verse 28, then his, his, when they see the, the, the weeds springing up, his servants ask, then do you want us to go and gather them? But, but the master responds in verse 29 and 30. No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So notice what is understanding, what, what is happening here. The, the, the Lord is having mercy. The Lord is having mercy, and, and here, speaking of course, at the end of time, the, the Lord is, is not bringing down eternal justice until the moment when all of his elect have been spared. And then he will bring final and ultimate judgment. The Lord's response is, is positive in, in each of Abraham's successive proposals. Except he is silent at the end. We know from the destruction of Sodom that we read about in the next chapter, and especially from 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8, that the only righteous man in all of Sodom was Lot. Peter says, And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. The testimony of God's word is that Lot is indeed righteous. And it's Abraham's intercession that leads to Lot's deliverance. The Lord responds to Abraham's request. This, this trip of the angels into the cities of, of Sodom and Gomorrah is not just a reconnaissance mission. It is a rescue mission, as we'll see next week, that these angels are going to rescue Lot. Abraham's intercession had an impact. We're not going we, to see the city spared, but we will see Lot spared. God sovereignly responded to Abraham's prayer. But the unexpected outcome in, in chapter 19 is that, that neither one of these two, these two scenarios actually comes to pass. That... that the innocent is indeed spared. 
and the guilty are consumed. God's will will be done. We need to ask, though, as we, as we consider, as we consider this, this intercession for, for the righteous, and well, who are the righteous? What is it that, that made Lot righteous? We'll see even in the very next chapter, we've seen repeatedly before that, that Lot did not live in many respects as, as a righteous man. What is righteousness and, and where does it come from? Genesis 15, 6. Righteousness comes by faith. Apart from God's grace, there were absolutely no righteous men or women in Sodom. Apart from God's grace, there, there, there are no righteous men or women here. If you're here this morning as a believer, you are here because you have been declared righteous. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ has been credited to your account. The righteousness that you enjoy as a Christian is not your righteousness. It's an alien righteousness. It's the righteousness of another. And Abraham is able to intercede before God, knowing that God hears him, not because he is personally righteous. We're going to see in chapter 20 how, how Abraham is going to fall into a pattern, the same pattern of sin that, that he exhibited in, in the second half of chapter 12. Abraham has, has nothing in and of himself to commend himself to God, and neither do you. But because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, and because he has taken away all of your sin, because your guilt was imputed to him, you can go before the Lord, the Holy Lord, confident that he hears your prayers. There are other intercessors in Scripture besides Abraham, Moses, and Job, and Elijah, and Elisha, but, but there is another intercessor in Scripture. Jesus Christ, the ultimate and permanent high priest, was able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7.25. Friends, Jesus Christ is interceding for you. At this very moment, Jesus Christ is interceding for you. When you go to work or school or when you, you look after your household, Jesus Christ is interceding for you. When you go to sleep at night, Jesus Christ is interceding for you. You can be confident that the righteous judge of the earth will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. You can be confident you can be confident that your prayers will help that to happen. Abraham interceded for Sodom. Are you interceding for Sodom? Are you interceding for, for your, your neighbors? Are you interceding for your co-workers? Are you interceding for your unbelieving family members? God hears your prayers. Earlier, I asked you about the good qualities, uh, uh, the qualities of a good friend. I think the ultimate quality of a, of a good friend is that, that, that he or she prays for you. Are you showing yourself to be a friend to, to your neighbors? Friends, one day, 
Our Lord is coming back. And the judgment that occurs on that day is, is infinitely beyond what we're going to see next week in Sodom and Gomorrah. Are you interceding for people that they would, would not enter into a Christless eternity? Are you showing yourself to be a good friend to the, to the people in this church? Are you interceding for the people in this church? Yes, most of us do know the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but there are unbelievers who gather here with us. Are you interceding for them? We, we all need the intercession of the saints. I would encourage you to, to, to grab a church directory. If you, don't, if you don't have one, ask Karen for, for one and, and to, to take that church directory and to pray through that church directory. To pray intentional, loving prayers for, for the people in that directory. And as you come to somebody that, that you don't know in the church directory, then this is a great opportunity to say, I don't really know that person. I'm going to make it my point to, to sit down with them next Sunday and, or to give them a call and say, hey, can we go out for coffee? And so I can ask them, how can I be praying for you? Who are you interceding for? Come back to the, the question from earlier. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we praise you for this glorious privilege of prayer. Lord, we thank you that because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us, because of the righteous life that he lived for us, Lord, we are now called righteous. We know that you hear the prayers of the righteous. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live righteous lives in response to your faithfulness to us, especially your faithfulness as a seen in Christ. Lord, we pray that, that you would help us to be a faithful people, a people of prayer. Lord, a people who, who love our neighbor as ourselves. And a people who earnestly desire to see our neighbors who do not know you, to, to come into repentance and faith. Lord, that they might enjoy fellowship with us in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would help us to pray for each other, that you would help us to pray for those who we already have fellowship with in Christ, that you would help us to, to love one another and to, to show ourselves to be faithful friends to our brothers and sisters, especially our brothers and sisters here in this local church. Lord, we pray this, that your name would be exalted and that your church would be built up. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.